Powerful Communication with Dr. Allie Atkinson. Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn and you're on Gut Plus Science. This podcast is on a mission to increase engagement at work. And on this show, we equip CEOs and people first leaders of all levels to make impact. Let's get to it. Hey, Gut Plus Science listeners, I don't think it's any secret that communication comes to the top of the list of challenges that we have in business, in our personal lives. Like we can always learn and grow in our communication journey, right? Of course. So we're bringing on an expert today, someone that's so passionate about helping us as leaders to communicate more effectively. I'm here with Allie Atkinson today, who's become a friend and a, a great member in our community of People Forward Network. I'm so excited to have her on the show. She's going to talk to us about rethinking how we communicate, whether that's online or offline. So much of our world today is digital. And how do we show up in our emails and our texts, let alone when we are with people one-on-one or in a large group, right? So here we go. Let's get with Allie. Allie, welcome to Gut Plus Science. I am so excited to spend time with you today. So I'd love to kick off, help us reframe how we think about communication to tee up our conversation today around leading effective communication. Yes. Thank you. I love this question. Communication is one of those things that people kind of take for granted. We don't think about it until it's going poorly. And so how can we think about our communication and keep it top of mind? And I consider that like my mission in life is to help people do that. And one of the ways that I've done that is to try to get people to reframe and think differently about their communication by coining a term I called computer side manner. And it's kind of a play as it sounds like on bedside manner, right? And the idea I had behind this term is getting people to think about in this day and age, there's really no excuse for thinking that our digital communication is different from our in-person communication, right? Like if you go to a networking event or a meeting or a presentation, of course, it's a given that you bring your best self, right? You're, you're polished, you're, you're thinking about your communication and how you present yourself. But often we don't do the same online in emails, in instant messages, in Zoom meetings. And so given the fact that we all communicate so much digitally these days, and that's obviously not going anywhere. I really wanted to coin this term to remind people that your communication is your brand. It's regardless of the medium or the context or the platform, it doesn't matter because most people, if you think about it, only know you by your digital communication, right? And so thinking about that all the time and realizing that how you communicate each and every time reflects you and your brand to the other person. So that's how I'm trying to get people to kind of reframe communication is thinking about every single interaction matters, whether it's an instant message or a formal presentation. Mm, So good. We're going to learn some easy to employ tactics for communicating more effectively today. And I can't wait to dig into all of those, but I do want to hone in on this topic around communication, shaping our personal brand as leaders. And if you can just elaborate that on that a little bit more, maybe give us some examples of like, well, when this happens, obviously this is shaping your brand, but maybe we're not even thinking that. Right, exactly. First of all, I love that you asked specifically about leaders. And of course, I mean, now we could go down a different tangent of like, I think all of us are leaders in various aspects of our lives. And so I kind of go back to my first statement that communication is always important. But I do think people in a leadership position 
it's maybe even more important than they might realize. And what I mean by that is you never know when the tiniest interaction that you have with someone would impact them positively or negatively, right? I remember once many years ago when I first got into a leadership position at the academic institution for which I was employed, oh my gosh, I was feeling like drowning, right? In all of the things that I had to do and just the responsibilities of the role. And one of the members of the team I supervised came to my door and I kind of was typing and my door was to my right and I was typing and I didn't even really look up. I was like, yeah, what can I do for you? Right. And that was it. In that moment, I communicated to her that I was not available to her and we had work to do to get over that sense that I gave her. And luckily we finally did, but it took work. It took more communication for her to realize that that was a one-off for me. You know, I didn't mean to make her feel that way, but people internalize those things. And so in a moment when you're thinking, ah, not now, I'm too busy, that moment could be super impactful for the person on the receiving end of that. So leaders really need to think about, again, going back to what I said in the previous question, each and every interaction is an opportunity to foster a positive relationship through your communication, or unfortunately, to maybe have something go a little bit more negatively. And those things really land on the people you're communicating with. And when you think about, Nikki, I'm sure you, in your role now, you deal with people who are leaders all the time. And when we think about people who we describe as good leaders or bad leaders, those you've worked for, people you know, think about how you describe them. And 99% of it is probably how they communicate. So that's, it's just so, so important. Yeah, and you said this, and I'm just reiterating how we all have a personal brand, leaders or not, it's so much more heightened as leaders because you're under the microscope a lot more and we're there to illustrate behaviors and help move people forward, right? And so I think it's so important just to be aware of even the smallest interaction, like you said, it wasn't that you were intending to ignore this person or make them feel ignored at all. You were trying to get something done, but that five seconds of experience could shape how they think of you and how they communicate with you moving forward. It's just so important, I think, to have that presence and that awareness. So thank you for that. It's so true. And, you know, we try, of course, to coach people to be open and honest and have challenging, difficult conversations when need be. But we're living in a society right now that is a little bit more focused sometimes on fear of having difficult conversations. There, I know there's a term that's been coined now called toxic positivity, right? Meaning we're so afraid to have those difficult conversations that it can create a toxic environment because we're sort of pretending to be positive. And the reason I bring that up is that if as a leader, you have an interaction with somebody that lands like that on them, they're probably not going to tell you. They'll just adjust how they interact with you and unfortunately, probably how they think about you. So it really is important to think about each and every interaction you have with your colleagues and especially those you manage that this interaction could be the one that shapes our future relationship. Totally. And you think about it for the positive opportunities too. It's like this one interaction that you took the time to stop in the hallway, if you will, or seeing someone at the store and you spend time for three minutes to say something that maybe you've recognized in them recently and congratulate them or whatever. You you really have no idea how much of a positive impact that could make and how much of a relationship propeller that could do. So these simple, simple, small things can be so such difference makers. 
For sure. I love for you to share some stories about how important it is to prioritize communication skills. Yes, I would love to do that. Let me actually, if I may, I'll share a little bit of data and then I do have a story. Yeah. So first, I think it's important for people to hear some data that's just research demonstrates a lot of things about communication that may surprise people. Harvard University and Stanford Research Center did both did studies that essentially found the same thing, which is that 85% of job success comes from soft skills like communication, and only 15% of job success comes from technical skills and knowledge. And this is true even in IT fields. So I think that's really important for people to understand because a lot of times people tend to think like, well, I'm good at my job. My technical skills are all that matter. But research tells us otherwise. And the case studies that I have also kind of amassed over my years of doing what I do also tell me otherwise. We know, again, from research consistently that people who are strong communicators, and that includes your writing skills and your, your written digital communications, people make positive assumptions about you, about your attitude, your aptitude and your attitude, your attention to detail, your critical thinking skills, all those things. And unfortunately, they make the opposite assumptions if you don't have strong communication skills. They make negative inferences about your attention to detail, about your pride in your work, about your credibility. You can have a PhD, an EDD, a certification in whatever, but if you can't articulate the things you know in a clear, concise, compelling, and I would also add empathetic manner in there, it's just really not landing with your audience. So I'll go back to that technical skills, communication skills piece that I started with to tell you this story. So a very, very good colleague of mine recently told me he's in the IT field and he manages a team of about, I forget, maybe 12 people. And he recently had to fire a man who was on his team who he called, quote, the most beautiful coder I've ever seen. And that's saying a lot, right? I mean, this colleague has been in IT for a long time. But he had to fire this gentleman anyway, despite the fact that he was the most beautiful coder because of his communication skills. He just was not articulating to the rest of the team what he was working on. He wasn't making it clear, like, what parts of the project is he working on and why, so that the team wasn't doing work that was redundant. And so they were creating redundancies in the code. The project ended up being over budget, late, et cetera. And despite coaching to try to get this gentleman to be more communicative with his team and more clear and proactive in his communication, he didn't do it. And so they had to fire him. So you're talking about a person who clearly, like I said, had the technical skills to be the most beautiful coder my colleague has ever seen, but unfortunately lost his job anyway. So these things really do matter. And it plays out like that in the real world in ways that people often don't realize until it kind of smacks them in the face. Totally. And for younger generations, if we were, I'm going to speak from my experience, younger and going through an undergrad and graduate program, I really didn't have a lot of training and leadership around the soft skills stuff. And so I don't know if they're doing more of that nowadays, but it's just so important to pass that along as the high school years and college years are happening just to prioritize this versus like the learning and acing the tests. Because it is just that statistic you talked about, 85% of job success comes from the soft skill side. So I think it just gets overlooked a lot. Thank you for sharing that. I agree. But luckily, it makes room for people like me. <laughs> yes, absolutely. 
So Allie, talk to us about how communication impacts psychological safety, because all of our listeners work on employee engagement. Like that's the root of the show. And psychological safety is one of the key components of building an engaged team and workplace. Talk about how communication impacts that. I am so glad you asked this, Nikki. It's such an important question. I don't know when you use that word normally with other people, like kind of how it lands, you know, with the people you work with on the day, on the day to day. But I have found that when we talk about something like creating psychological safety or a safe space for communication, that that can feel very woo woo for people, a little too touchy feely for most people. But actually, it's absolutely critical for ensuring that your employees are able to be productive. And the reason is that if you're not creating a safe space, a psychological safe space, I mean, actually a physical safe space too, then you may be inhibiting maximal brain power on the part of your employees. And the reason for that is that when a person feels unsafe, they may feel any number of emotions, few of them good, of course, right? Nobody likes feeling unsafe. At best, they might feel uncertain. At worst, they might feel threatened, questioned, accused, cajoled, defensive, scared. And when a person feels any of these emotional states, they're less likely to be able to engage in critical thinking and analysis that are necessary to do their jobs, right? And the reason for that is that it goes back to just our very, you know, sort of Neanderthal brain. When stimuli enter our brains, our brains immediately figure out which of those stimuli to attend to, right? Because we can't attend to all of the stimuli that are coming in all the time. And in fact, our brains actually rank order which things to pay attention to. And so ranking at the very top of that list is the concept of danger. Back in the millennia ago, danger meant something that was going to eat us, right? (laughs) The long-tooth, flesh-eating kind. But nowadays, danger can be anything that places you under stress, physical or mental, something that creates a feeling of uncertainty or, again, fear. And so when we're in that place mentally, our brain will divert all of the rational information processing capability to instead deal with the danger at hand. And that's the basis of the fight or flight response most people are familiar with. And then get this, to compound that, danger is at the top of the list of what our brain will pay attention to. The second thing it's going to prioritize is emotional input. So if we are feeling a negative emotional response to a particular situation, again, our brain is going to be in that fight or flight mode. So when the brain feels positive, when we feel psychological safety, our brain releases endorphins that stimulate the frontal lobe, which is the area that's responsible for higher level thinking and problem solving. But that is not possible when we are in a state of stress or anxiety, because instead the brain is going to release epinephrine and cortisol, which again are involved in that fight or flight response. So even though most of us are unlikely to be in a professional situation where we like actually feel a sense of danger, like, oh my God, I have to get out of here. Many of us have no doubt had, and I hope not ever again, but probably will likely have again situations where someone was creating a sense for us that we weren't safe. We weren't welcome. We weren't valued. We weren't smart enough to learn this new thing, right? Whatever the case may be. And those are all going to inhibit an employee's ability to give you their best. So true. And the stories are endless about the Sunday scaries or the just tale of the terrible Mondays, if you will. And so much of that is just the ick feeling that people will describe about driving into work or just getting ready 
Sunday midday and already feeling this like anxiety and sickness about work. And it's, that's like an illustration of, I think where this happens a lot when you just can't feel settled and at peace. And yeah, I think there's so much that we can do as leaders, obviously to just turn that around and needs to be what we work on every day on the show. (laughs) Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And you know what? Unfortunately, I've been there. I've had those Sunday scaries. So I do, I empathize with anyone who feels that. And the one thing I'll say, and it's a little bit tangential to our, to our conversation, kind of specific to communication, but the work that you're doing with your company is so important and all the people you work with, because I really sense that there is a movement afoot right now to create workplaces where values are aligned, meaning my personal values are aligned to the organization, but also that the organizational values are aligned, meaning that the organization actually espouses and enacts the values that it claims to, right? I I feel so enthusiastic by this movement that I feel is going on right now. It's just cool. Yeah. I really feel that shift too. And it is a wonderful thing. Just you think about how much time we spend at work and what that does when it's a good experience to propel everything else in the world, right? Like we're better parents and better spouses and more involved in the community. Like if we just all could think that way, that work is the fuel that helps everything else. And I feel like that movement's happening. Like you said, it's just really exciting. I agree. So I know this next technique, if you will, is core to your practice. Share how you coach leaders to incorporate the why behind what they're saying. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's such a great question. And the fact, by the way, Nikki, the fact that you're asking me about the why tells me that you are pretty tuned in with your communication skills, because even the notion of asking why is the why important is pretty advanced. So I love that. We know that the why is important for a couple of reasons. First of all, if you are explaining something to someone or you're giving them a task that you want them to do or remember, it really helps a person understand the context and purpose behind a directive because that will help them create stronger, and by stronger, I mean memories that are more likely to imprint. So like if my manager gives me a task that just kind of feels like a one-off and I don't, you know, I have a good relationship with my manager. So I think, yeah, yeah, I'll get to that, but it doesn't feel very important or whatever. I might not pay it very much mind, but if she explains to me why this task is important, especially if the why impacts me or something I care about, like my job performance or my teammates, et cetera, then I'm much more likely to remember to do that task. And so the why is also important because adults typically need to know the rationale behind new requests. We don't tend to engage in new endeavors, whether it's learning or really kind of any new activity without a pretty compelling reason. And that's a tendency. I'm not saying it does, you know, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but we all just have so much going on. In that way, we're not that different from kids. Remember how when you're a kid, you're always like, well, why? How come? Why? How come? We just don't ask it out loud, (laughs) but we think it inside. (laughs) Think about how many times you've probably said to yourself, like, why do I have to do this? Yes. Right. (laughs) And so, you know, that reason is still really important to us. And so when I'm coaching leaders on the why, I try to get pretty meta with it. In other words, I tend to model what I'm teaching. So I'm explaining to them this science and I'm explaining to you about why the why is important, right? You get very meta with it. Um, So I'll start with the science behind it, you know, why it's important from a cognitive perspective to understand the why. And then, 
usually it kind of depends on the person, but either I'm going to share a story of somebody who's done it well or not. And then maybe try to search for a story in the leader's history of a time when they did it well, again, or not, because I can kind of build on those as a way to debrief what worked well or what didn't. And building on examples that they can relate to is a really powerful way to connect to anybody that I'm trying to get a concept across to. Because if I'm just giving them a story about like how something was important to me personally, it's, it's really not going to resonate with them, right? But if I can get them to think of an example of a time when they were trying to teach their team to engage in a new behavior of some kind, embrace a new policy or whatever the case may be, and maybe it was less successful, if we go back and we really unpack what happened in that scenario and we can get at, oh, I never told them the why, now that leader is going to have that aha moment. So being able to build on their previous experiences is really powerful in terms of, of coaching them toward thinking about the why moving forward. And again, kind of tangential, but still related to our conversation about communication. It's really a best practice that is, I think, very convergent with the new landscape that we were just talking about, right? It's kind of the old school model to come to someone and go, well, you're just going to do this because I'm your manager. I'm asking you to do it. <laughs> Gone are the days. Let's hope. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Wait, let's hope. Let's hope. I'm sure it still happens. And there are some people, let's also say, there are some people who will not question that, who will say, my manager asked me to do this and therefore it's done. However, I would venture to argue that even in those cases, you're still going to have more buy-in and a person is going to be a lot more compelled to do that thing. I'm not saying they won't do it, but the buy-in is what will really be missing, right? The care behind it, the value in that thing. That's where the why is such an important connection. So good. Okay. Recall is a function in the brain that gives us the power to unlock deeper, meaningful responses. Define recall for us and then share how leaders can be most helpful in leading communication to help people recall. Yes. Okay. So I love that you called it recall. So important because it's a little bit that noun or verb, depending on the context, is really important here because a lot of times we tend to talk about memories. And do you mind? Let me ask you a question. What do you think in terms of, of memories? Like if you have learned something, say you learned something 20 years ago, but you don't remember it anymore, where did it go? Is it still in there? Is it still in your brain? Or do you think, no, I've totally forgotten it. It's gone. It's in there. I would say it's just not air quotes, top of mind. Yes. Good. You're exactly, you're exactly right. And the fascinating thing is that we used to tend to think that if we hadn't used something in our brain, right, the use it or lose it maxim, that it would go away, that eventually we would literally just forget that thing and it doesn't exist in our brain. But new research has pointed to the fact that actually, if you have learned something, and I mean truly learned it, I don't mean anything that you like saw in passing or heard, but if you actually committed something to memory, doesn't matter how long ago, it is in there. It may be that the recall factor of that thing is lower because you haven't had to recall it, you know, you haven't had reason to, or you haven't been in a context. And if you've had these moments, and you know what I mean, where say you step into a house you've never been in and something in it reminds you of your grandmother's house that you'd never remembered in 25 years. And you're like, oh, I was just struck with this powerful memory of my grandma used to make chili every Sunday or, you know, whatever. 
And that's because our memories are very contextually bound. So things, if we find ourselves in similar contexts, then we're more likely to recall that memory later. So if you've learned something, truly committed it to memory, it is in there. So how do we recall those things if they're there? Hopefully most of the time we're not having to recall something that's that deeply buried. But there are a couple of ways that as communicators, we can help others create memories that imprint so that the recall factor is stronger. There are actually lots of ways, but I'll try to cover two in the time we have. And you tell me if we're running short. The first is emotion is very important. I already mentioned it's one of the first things our brain pays attention to, right? So the good news is that we can use that to our advantage and create memories that imprint by bringing emotion into the fold because emotional resonance helps create long-term memory imprinting. And so basically the reason for that is that the memory and the emotional processes in the brain interact in a really unique way that doesn't take place for stimuli to which we don't have a strong emotional response. Now, how do we do that, right? How do you create an emotional response to a particular interaction? Like I wouldn't recommend being a jerk on purpose because the other person's going to have an emotional response to it. They will, and they're likely to remember it, but that's not really what you're going for. But it is possible to create emotion in an interaction. If it wasn't, advertising wouldn't be a billion-dollar industry, right? So you can think about ways to create emotional responses, but maybe relying more on things like happiness as an emotion instead of sadness or fear. But you can sometimes we can use fear to our advantage. Let's see, let me give you an example. So years ago, there was a team I supervised in a higher ed institution I worked for, and I had a gentleman on my team who was kind of balking at providing me feedback on a policy that was coming down from the senior administration. They were really asking for everyone's feedback. But I think he was, to be honest, I think he was a little bit nervous that his feedback would get back to someone, right? Like that he said this thing. And so he was like, I don't really, I think I'll just hold my tongue. And I explained to him that if we didn't provide as much feedback, here's how this policy was going to affect his day-to-day job. And it wasn't positive. It was kind of, you know, like, it's going to affect your job in a really negative way. And he was like, oh, I don't want that. Okay, I'm going to give you my feedback. And so in that way, we can use fear to kind of motivate people. And, you know, in this case, it reminded him to do the task that I was asking him to do. There's also ways that we can just try to connect the current situation to a previous emotion. So how is this thing like that thing? Asking people questions like, well, have you ever been in a situation where you felt really threatened? Or what was the happiest time in your life? Right. So there are ways that we can use inquiry, which I know you and I should probably talk about next, but there are ways that we can ask questions of people to get at what emotions they might be feeling in a particular moment or what emotions they felt in the past. And now this thing is like that thing. So that's one of the ways to do it. The other way to create strong memories at imprint, and everybody has heard this term before, but we tend to kind of take them for granted and not use them much, I think, as adults, is mnemonic devices. Mnemonic devices are fantastic tools for creating memories that imprint. So if I say mnemonic device, Nikki, like what's the first one that comes to mind for you? Oh my gosh, I just went blank. Do you remember the colors? How do I remember the colors of a rainbow? No, I just like when you asked that question, I was starting to think like, okay, in second grade or third grade, I'm just forgetting. I'm forgetting. Give me one. Yeah. Like that we all know. 
the thing that you just said is kind of important because most of us haven't heard mnemonic devices since we were kids and they're great tools. But so, oh, the colors of a rainbow, Roy G. Biv, or the notes on a music scale or every good boy does fine. Oh, every, yes, yes. I've heard that one different too, but. There was a keyboard one now that you say that. As all dads fall, as dads all fall, sad. And it was like the keyboard thing in the middle that would help us like learn typing. So I got one. I was like, I know I know some of these. Yeah. And you still remember it, right? See how strong of a tool, how powerful a tool mnemonic devices really are. They're wonderful tools and people don't use them often enough. And I highly recommend it. I'll give you a quick example. Maybe I'll give tell me if we have time for two, but one of the best that I've never forgotten. My grandpa taught me how to set a table when I was like five years old by telling me that fork and left both have four letters and knife, spoon, and right all have five letters. And that was it. I've never forgotten. And of course, this doesn't work if you're left-handed, right? Because then your fork has to go on the other side. But (laughs) I'm right-handed, so it worked for me. Yeah. And then I used a mnemonic device in a previous position. I mentioned I worked for a higher education institution. We had changed the requirements for our culminating project that our students had to do. They previously had to earn a B on their final project in order to graduate. And we changed that requirement to be a B minus. You can see how that would be really confusing for everybody, right? Like, wait, is it a, it was a B and now it's a B minus or it was a B minus and now it's a B. I can never remember. And so I just created a quick little mnemonic that my team said like, oh my gosh, that's so great. I never forgot it. And the mnemonic I created was to be no to B minus. And that was it. They never forgot. So yes, trying to think about, you know, rhymes, acronyms, these types of mnemonics are super powerful devices for helping people create memories that imprint, which means they're more readily recalled. You know, one that I think I was trying to think of one that I used today that I've known for a long time, and it probably many listeners would also think the same smart, like the way we do goals, right? Yes. So specific, measurable, attainable, results focused and timely, like that's just so wired in me. And I still use that. Like the all dads fall as dads all fall sad or whatever it is. It's like <laughs> that really took me back to second grade, but I don't use it. But it's like just funny how it's stuck. Yes. Wow. So cool. Well, Allie, we have like two minutes and I want to squeeze in one more question. And this might plant a seed for our listeners to be able to then follow up and ask more about it because we don't have too much time. But share the power behind asking great questions and give us a framework to get better at it. Yes. Questions are one of the most powerful tools for a communicator. And the reason is because when we communicate with other people, what is absolutely critical is that we find a way to connect to prior knowledge or prior experience that they have in their mind. What I have in my mind is irrelevant. What I need to do as a communicator is understand what you have in your mind and figure out how to connect to that. So I can go, okay, so Nikki, what's your experience with this thing so far? Now I know where you're starting and I can go, oh, okay, that's your experience. Let me build on that. Instead of saying, Nikki, here's my experience. Does that make sense to you? And you might go, "Mm, no, it doesn't. So, okay, well, what is your experience? So questions are just the single most powerful way to understand a person's prior experience and prior knowledge. I'll quote James Zoll, who wrote one of the most important books for my work, which is about brain-based learning. And he said, no one can understand anything if it isn't connected in some way to something they already know. And that's really powerful. And so 
asking questions is the single best way to get at what they already know so that you can meet them where they are instead of expecting them to come to you and figure out what's in your head. So good. Allie, this was awesome. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break and we'll wrap up with our fun lightning round before we go away and make sure that listeners know how to follow up and stay in touch with you. We'll be right back. If you're leading with a people first mindset, which most likely you are because you're listening to Gut Plus Science, join People Forward Network, the largest community of humans on a shared mission to lead meaningful work. You can find us at peopleforwardnetwork.com or follow People Forward Network on LinkedIn. All right, it's Nikki and I'm back with Dr. Allie Atkinson and we're moving into the Gut Plus Science new version of the lightning round. So Allie, you're the first one that we're going a little deeper on questions. I'm excited to try this out. So I'll ask a question. You just give like the quick first answer that comes to mind. The first one, we're not taking away this question because we've been doing it the whole time since we started the show. Your favorite book of all time or a favorite recent read? Okay. I don't think I can choose favorite book of all time because I'm an avid reader and there's too many, but I'll say my favorite recent read is The Hail Mary Project. It's by Andy Weir, the same guy who wrote The Martian fabulous. I'm a big sci-fi buff. Awesome. Thank you. We'll add that to our list. All right, Allie, which activities in life make you lose track of time? Ooh, I have a Jeep and I absolutely adore riding around with the top and doors off of my Jeep on a beautiful day. I could spend hours doing that. Sun on my face, wind in my hair, music playing. That one's easy. Oh, I love that. And I have a Jeep too, so I can totally feel the like energy there. Yes. Yes. All right. And Allie, what always makes you smile? Oh gosh. Um, so many things. A good song, a ride in the Jeep, my dogs. I have two very adorable little dogs and I'll add one more, which is um, my husband's laugh. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And Allie, how can listeners connect with you after the show today? I hope they will. Please do connect with me. I'd love to go more into a little bit more detail on um, asking good questions and tell you about the Curiosity Vortex. If anyone is curious about the Curiosity Vortex, reach out to me. So yes, you can find me on LinkedIn and it's just Allie Atkison, A-L-I-A-T-K-I-S-O-N. Um, or you can always just email me and it's just Allie, A-L-I, at R-O-I dash communications.com. So please do feel free to reach out. I love to hear from people. Hey, Gut Plus Science listeners, it's Nikki. And I had some great takeaways today with my conversation with Allie around communication. Here's a couple of them. So be conscious in all of your communication, remembering it shapes your personal brand. Every communication we have with someone else is shaping our personal brand, how other people experience us. And man, just to be very conscious and present in that, are we giving people our full attention and eye contact, especially on a digital screen? It's really easy to see if you're doing something else, right? And just, are we giving our full presence, which really shapes our personal brand? Great reminder. All right. Remember this, 85% of job success comes from soft skills communication is at the top of our list of soft skills. So just remember skill development is really, really important on the the people side of things and communication takes the top. So are you prioritizing communication training? Hey, I know somebody who can help you. Allie, hit her up. How about the third one? Always root your communication 
in the why behind the words of the conversation. So as leaders, before we formulate that email we're sending out to people or communicate that update in a conversation, a conference call, in a group session, rooting the communication in the why to make it really clear on here's why I'm communicating this or why I'm sharing this. Very, very important. And then Ali talked about learning recall techniques to elicit meaningful conversation. And she gave some tips on that. And so my takeaway is think about what recall technique you can apply, especially in digital communication, you know, on Zoom, that really helps to bring that conversation to life. Thank you so much, Allie. Thanks to all of you. We'll see you next time. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.